I hope I can keep that momentum going. Okay. This morning our text is found in 1 Kings, the end of chapter 16 and the beginning of chapter 17. Imagine you're standing on the edge of a deep, dark gorge. You're peering down into the mysterious depths. You can feel the cold air swirling around you and the sound of eerie echoes filling your ears. I don't know about you, but when we traveled years ago, I hated driving over those bridges. We'd travel to Florida, and you'd travel across those bridges, and you were up in the, way up in the air, and you're looking down, and all you saw was water. And then I'd, in my mind, I watch sometimes too much documentary TV, and in your mind you have those crash scenes where the planes wiped out part of the bridge, or the bridges collapsed, and... And you're driving along, and, and, and I'm just picturing, what if, I have too much of imagination, what if the bridge ahead of me isn't there, and you're just going to drop into the water? So think about that. Now imagine somebody, as you're looking at this gorge, handing you a fragile, rickety wooden bridge, assuring you, of course, that it will safely carry you across to the other side. But as you examine the bridge, you notice rotting wood, missing planks, and the creaking structure. It's as if it's barely holding its own self together. Even on a good diet, I would have to consider this. But then you look at yourself, and you realize the weight that this bridge is supposed to support. You hesitate. Your heart is pounding with doubt. The bridge sways unpromisingly, threatening to give way at any moment. Your intuition screams at you, warning you of the potential danger. It's a leap of faith to trust this flimsy bridge, knowing there's just one wrong step could send you plummeting into the unknown darkness below. In that moment, not trusting in something that is gripping tightly onto the solid ground, you're thinking, wait a minute, this ground feels pretty good right now. So you're, you're gripping that. You're unwilling to take that perilous journey. It's acknowledging the uncertainties, the flaws, and the potential consequences, and deciding that it's wiser to rely on your own judgment, the lessons that you have been taught, rather than putting your faith in something so precarious. Trust. That is what we'd like to look at this morning. It's a valuable commodity. People rarely give trust. Usually it's something that you have to earn. But without having trust in someone or trust in something, it's hard to do anything in life, isn't it? People put their trust in a wide range of things, depending upon their beliefs, their values, and their life experiences. 
Here are some common things that people tend to trust. Financial systems. We've seen how well that's worked for some people. People trust banks, financial institutions, and economic systems to safely handle their money, their investments, their transactions. Don't raise your hand, but how many people interiorly and inside have doubts right now in the financial system and what the future may hold? Many have beliefs and values individuals often trust in their own beliefs, values, and intuition to make decisions and navigate their lives. Trust me, there's nothing wrong with that. But how many times do we say, well, I don't know that I'm going to believe that. Look in the scriptures. How many times did they say, I won't believe it until I see it. But of course we have Jesus' own words to doubting Thomas. How blessed are those that believe without seeing, believing what God has promised us. Too many times we rely on the personal instead of the godly, the holy. We trust that our cars will start. I'm sure we've all gotten into our car and thought that it would start. How silly it is when it doesn't. My parents and I, we were on vacation. We took my mom and dad with us, and we were in Jacksonville, Florida, many years ago. But I can tell you, just like yesterday, how sickening it was when I walked back into the house, or the hotel, actually, and said, we were heading to Disney, and I just said, "Um, well, our van won't start. How sickening you are stopped right there. It should have started. Started many hundred times before. You ask people, they'll say, oh yeah, it'll start. But it didn't. I trusted in something. I trusted it'd be able to start when I needed it. You trust that the grocery stores will have food. We know that during the pandemic, that wasn't the case. And even now, I don't know what rhyme or reason. I don't have a cat anymore, but when I had the cat, there were times I'd go and there were no cat food on the shelf. I'm thinking, what, is this ridiculous? You can almost understand with the pandemic, toilet paper and so on. But there are some times you just go and they say, I'm sorry, we don't have any of that. And there are still certain items that you go in and you think, what's the run on this? And then you start thinking, maybe I should be buying it. Does everybody else know something I don't know? Like, why shouldn't I? So when you have trouble around the house, what happens? We trust that the policemen and firemen will be able to protect us. We trust that our friends will be there. Sadly enough, we've had times that we thought our friends would be there just when I needed them most, as it says in the song. Sometimes, most of the time, that's when you know your true friends, right? That's what they always say, the ones that are there all the time. But sometimes they're not there. But we count on our friends being there. Our church family, why do we assemble together to remember to worship God and to encourage one another, we lift ourselves up. May we lift our each of ourselves up and others in prayer. And may we be there for each other in moments of joy as well as sadness. Trust and woven. We know trust is a woven fabric of our lives. Without trust, we can hardly function. So the question is, 
this morning. What do we trust and why do we trust it? We're going to now go to our text. The story we're looking at today is a story about trust and possibly the lack of it. I'd like to start in 1 Kings 16, verse 30. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all those before him. Hmm. We've heard a lot of evil in the Old Testament. Ahab was more evil than anyone that was before him. Not what I'd like written on my tombstone. Beginning or continuing in verse 31. And as it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Ahab, very wicked king. But he was not just a wicked king. He was a wicked man. As you would say, he was evil to the core. What does 1 Kings 21 and 25 say about him? 1 Kings 21 25 tells us that he was, there was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. So uh, Ahab was an evil man through and through. But what made him so evil? I'd like to look at a few things. He certainly trusted in the wrong things. Think about how this applies to us today. Where is our trust? Do we trust in the wrong things? King Ahab, who reigned over the northern kingdom of Israel, from what I understand, about 874 to 853 B.C., is often described as one of the most wicked kings in the biblical narrative. Several factors contributed to his reputation of evil. What's the first? One, his marriage to Jezebel. It had a significant impact on his reign. She was a devoted worshiper of Baal and actively promoted Baal worship in Israel, leading to the introduction of idolatry and the persecution of prophets of the God of Israel. Ahab allowed and supported Jezebel's religious practices, which went against the faith of the Israelites. Influenced by the wrong people. I know when we were growing up, our parents may have felt that way. We'd like you to play with so-and-so instead. Don't go with the wrong crowd, as they would say. As parents, then we were doing the same thing to our children. Guiding them. Are you sure you want to be friends with them? Under Ahab's rule, the worship of the God of Israel was actively suppressed. And the worship of Baal was encouraged. This adulterous worship led to the corruption of religious practices and the erosion of moral values among the people. Ahab and Jezebel, his wife, orchestrated the systematic persecution and killing of prophets of God of Israel. Elijah, who we're going to bring into this picture, was one of the prominent prophets of Israel. 
And he was a particular target of Ahab and Jezebel. Despite receiving multiple warnings and prophecies from God through various prophets, Ahab stubbornly persisted in his evil ways. He showed no repentance. He showed no willingness to change his behavior. Even after witnessing the disastrous consequences of his actions. Ahab trusted in the wrong things. Let's examine ourselves as we go through this. He trusted the wrong people, and most tragically of all, he didn't fully trust God. So God decided it was time to teach Ahab a lesson in trust. God wanted Ahab to trust him, just like God continually pursues man. From the very beginning in Genesis, we see God in pursuit of man, desiring that all come to him before it is too late. He sends Elijah with a basic message. What does he say? Trust me on this. I'm going to make life very uncomfortable for you. Until Elijah comes to you again, there will be no rain or no dew on the land. Hmm. That's why I had thoughts of this before. But what are we in today? We're still looking for that rain. Yeah. In Perry, I know that the, well, I just saw it in the news, but I, I know in Perry, we're looking at nurseries. You talk to them, they're talking about the strawberries. They're there, but they aren't quite the same because of the rain, lack of rain. Then I'm looking at I always love to buy the sweet corn that's coming up in August. What impact does today have on that sweet corn not getting the water and moisture? I know Tom and people that have grown up on farms have known more of the farm life. The devastation that can happen. Every year our farmers wait anxiously to see how much rain will fall on their crops. If it's too much, the crops drown. If it's too little... We know that the crops will dry up or be impacted in some some essence. But if there's no rain at all, all the crops will die. Book of James, what does James 5 and 17 tell us? We're studying in the book of James, by the way, um, for anybody um, with us on Sunday morning Bible study. We've just started chapter 1, but we'll be studying through the book of James. And it tells us that Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. We haven't had rain for three weeks, and look where we're at. Three and a half years. Hmm. Three and a half years of drought is enough to turn a paradise into a wasteland. Three and a half years of dryness can make men and kings desperate enough to do anything to change the weather even to try to kill a prophet, Elijah. So God sent Elijah on an extended vacation away from them. And there, of course, is where we meet the ravens of the story. Ravens. You know, you look through the Old Testament, there's a lot of things that take place. They were fed with manna, the Israelites were for 40 years, were fed from manna from above. God has Elijah hide near the brook, Kirith, from what I understand, down by the Jordan River. And this is where we pick up in 1 Kings chapter 17. 
And of course, you see, I'm not reading it verse by verse. I'm what I'm taking in. I'm paraphrasing from Kings 16:30 all the way up to First Kings 17 and verse about verse 15. Right now, I'm looking at First Kings 17:6. It tells us that the ravens brought Elijah bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank before the brook. I'd like to stop there for a moment. Think about this. Think about, you know, you, I always, sometimes, like I say, I got this mind that just, think about what it would be like on a deserted island. Nobody bugging you. Picture you're in this peaceful area. The last thing I think you would think is ravens bringing you food. Think about that for a moment. Ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And for how long? He's on this vacation for a period of time. We know that in about three and a half years, he's going to go back. Because remember, he's given this warning to Ahab. I think for several reasons. Let's think. Ravens don't generally like being around humans. How many people have pet ravens? Not too many. I was, when I was young growing up, Edgar Allan Poe. You read Edgar Allan Poe and the raven. Yeah. That's how kind you think people, yeah, hanging around ravens. Anybody watch the movie The Birds? I thought it was crows and ravens and yeah. Okay, that's my opinion of ravens. Ravens were also unclean birds. What do they usually think of? We know that God's people were not allowed to eat them nor offer them in sacrifice. What do ravens usually eat? The food of ravens has usually been dead for a while. They eat roadkill. They're scavengers. They're kind of like vultures. Want to share your food with them? Want to take the food that they've shared with you? Even if we wanted to share the food, ravens would never share. They, from what I understand, don't even share their food with their babies. So once a young raven is able to fly, it's kicked out of the nest. It's left to fend for itself. No matter how much the young raven cries for its parents, the parents will not bring it food. It's on its own. And apparently, there is an uncommon cruel trait not shared by many other birds. So here God says, God, this is the key. God is the only one that can possibly do this. Has Elijah being fed by unclean, disgusting Antisocial and notoriously cruel birds. Why, you ask, should God allow ravens to supply Elijah with food when humans would say there's no way that this could happen? I think that's why, isn't it? So I'd like to look at a few things. There are several reasons why people end up not trusting God or his word. You'd ask, well, why wouldn't people trust God in his word? One, Sometimes people refuse to trust God's word because they lack evidence. They lack evidence. They want to see it for themselves. What did the, in the trial of Jesus? Herod. Show me miracles. The rich man with Lazarus. What does he say? Let me go back and warn my brothers. What are we told? Hey, you have prophets. You have the writings. You have God's word. 
believe them. Jesus saying to Peter, uh, to Thomas, blessed are those who different from you believe without seeing. Hebrews 11, faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God trusts that we would have faith in him. So we don't need visual proof. But yet, if you pray well enough, I know I can, I'm convinced that God answers prayer. I'm convinced that you can see God in action all around us, just watching a baby born, just watching the seasons, just the things, the beauty that God has given us. What are some other things? Other times people refuse to trust God and his word because, like King Ahab, they listen to the wrong people. They're influenced by other individuals that maybe turn them away from God. They spend time with skeptics and scoffers who make them ashamed of the faith, and they doubt God. Other times, they refuse to trust God's word because they've been hurt. God didn't help them when they felt they should be helped in the way they wanted to be helped, when they felt that they needed it the most. And because of that incident or incidences, they turned their back on God. But yet in James, we were just studying this morning, James chapter 1, how we need the patience, the diligence. How in Acts chapter 5, as the early disciples were being persecuted, they walked away with joy, rejoicing that they were able to bring proclamation to Jesus and to be considered Christians. Still, other people refuse to trust God's word because they're into sin. They've done things that they shouldn't have, and they want to hide that. The sin, we know that what does it say? God's word brings things to light. Be thou found in the light. But yet, they want to hide those particular lifestyles or particular behaviors. They try to blunt his right to judge themselves. Because if God's word is wrong or something that they can prove that it's wrong, maybe they can ignore what things are being said. Or they try to change God's word to apply to them. The problem with these approaches to God's word is that it puts us in danger, doesn't it? It's like that rickety bridge in the beginning that, as they say, we may or may not make it across with that bridge. But we know in God's word there is no may or may not. Putting our trust in, I hope. My son-in-law, who works with the government, and he works with the generals and so on, says hope is not a strategy. I love that. And he's still in my head. Because I catch myself now when I say, well, Matt, you know, he says, well, why did you do that? Well, I was hoping that hope is not a strategy. He says that all the time. Something has to step in where God has been thrown out. That's what happened to King Ahab, isn't it? He didn't trust the God of Israel. So he turned to trust in other gods. He's trusting in these other false gods, Baal, and so on. And we see what happens, and he suffers for it. And suppose the, there was a, a philosopher that said, it is often supposed that when people stop believing in God, they believe in nothing. But he says he thinks it's worse than that. When they stop believing in God, 
They believe in anything instead of nothing, which could even be worse. Without God, the only standard of trust of right and wrong is what? It's what appeals to you. Well, how I feel, and that's how much we people today, right? I don't want to even get in on the, but you already know where we're at in a world when I start to fill out an application and what were you at your birth? You know, what sex were you at birth? And, and you're just, you know, not even getting into various things. But I'm thinking how much we have strayed just in our society and the various things, you know, from what I remember things as. A shifting standard, I would say. We have a constant shifting standard. Scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. My standards are all warped. My morality is riddled with impurity. And if I base what I trust on what warpedness and impurity is, then I'm going to embrace whether God's allow me to do whatever I want to do. It's insanity. When I stop trusting in the scripture of God, I'll believe in anything. And eventually, that will lead me to destruction. I just go back to the first words. In the beginning, God created. That's all you need to know, right? Where did we come from? What is our existence? In the beginning, God created. Doesn't say Baal created. Doesn't say that humans existed for their own purpose. I like to use this standard of right and wrong. I look at God and God's word, and what does it teach me? I'll use his standards of right and wrong, not mine. I'll build on his morality of my life, not mine. I'll build on his expectations for me personally, not my own. And I know if I trust in him in these matters, I will be blessed. But first I have to decide whether I trust him or not. And that leads me to my final point. Why would God use ravens to minister to Elijah? He could have done it more pleasantly, a much more easy way. Why use ravens? We know that God asked him to go to a poor widow and feed, have her feed him. But the widow had no food to share. Now, when I was growing up, I don't know about you, but I was thinking, of all people, God could send them to. He needs food. Send them to a place that has no food. Hmm. That's not man thinking, is it? Hmm. She was preparing for a final meal. When Elijah shows up, it says she's preparing for a final meal for her son and herself. And then they were going to die. Why? They didn't have enough food. And Elijah had to ask her to share the final meal with him. By the way, you only had enough for nobody. You're sharing it with two. Now I'd like to have some also. Why didn't God send Elijah to someone else who had at least had some food? But the same reason God sent the ravens to feed him in the desert, what's he doing? He's showing Elijah his power. Remember, Elijah has just, remember, if you go in before this, the great 
burning and showing that God exists and, you know, and that there is one true God and the burning of the altar. And now he's playing and he's almost, you see that there was a time he's sitting out underneath a tree and he's kind of playing life himself saying, maybe I should just die out here. Everybody hates me. But what's God doing? God's building his trust and how much that should build our trust. And when people say, well, I know God wrote that, but this is what we should do instead. Look at what God does for a purpose. God, I'm sure, knew what we were thinking today, thousands of years later, and said, oh no, these are the basics that I want you to know. I am in charge. What is the last song we sing? What was God supposed, what is he supposed to identify God as? The great I am. Tell him, I am sent you. He'll know. We think about this. So Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. Be first, first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son. So now notice it almost looks like he's putting himself first. First bring this cake to me and then something for your, your, your son and you. And for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. That's what the key is. This is what the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day of the Lord gives the rain of the land. Hmm. Three and a half years? Now, I don't think she knows how long it's going to be. But until that we get rain. So she went away and did as Elijah had told her. How many people would have said, who does he think he is? To, you know, that's what we hear nowadays, right? But she went away and did exactly as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. Now, you can't convince me that God's sole purpose is having the widow feed Elijah was simply so that he could have something to eat. What other reason would God have? Trust. And that's what I want to leave you with this morning. God wanted to strengthen Elijah's trust in him. God got Elijah into situations where he had no choice but to trust him. Because when his drought was over, God was sending Elijah back to confront Ahab. Remember he left fearing for his life and he's going to have to go back to Ahab. So God, during this time period, is building Elijah's trust in him. Is life a bed of roses, as they say? Certainly not. God builds us up, though. If we count his many blessings daily in our lives, God builds us up that we would have that trust. As we were studying this morning, patience. It takes patience, perseverance. But what does it provoke? And it talks about how it promotes understanding, humility, perseverance, completeness. That you could be complete. Wanting nothing. He showed Elijah that he could order the very ravens to feed him. He showed Elijah that he was able to endure a destitute widow to meet her needs. Over and over again, we know that God trained Elijah in trust. God knows that trust is something that needs to be earned. 
And he knows the power of trust in our own lives. That's why he lays such an emphasis on our counting our blessings. Repeatedly throughout scriptures, God tells us to be thankful, to rejoice, to focus on what he has done in each and every one of our lives. This is more than just a religious activity. It's a training ground in trust. If Elijah had not been trained in trust, he wouldn't have been ready when the time of testing came. In the same way, if we personally today don't train ourselves in trusting God, we will not have the strength to stand in the time of testing. The question for you this morning is, what do you trust? One man made this observation. Trust in yourself, and you are doomed to disappointment. Trust in money, and you may have it taken from you. But trust in God, and you will never be confounded in time or eternity. Hebrew tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's the kind of faith that believes that more, just more than just that God exists. Hebrews 11 and 6. I'm going to close with this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This morning, that is the attitude that we need to have. What do we trust? We know that Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. This morning, the lesson is yours. If you have need to either be baptized or ask for the prayers of the congregation, you have that opportunity to do so as together we stand and sing our song of invitation.